welcome to episode three of Signs, Cosines, and Tangents. We're not joined by any additional co-hosts this week. Uh, it's just Jared and I back in the uh, dungeon. Um, and so, how was your work, Jade? Blah, 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 blah. How was my blah, blah, blah? This is what happens when you try and speak and your tongue doesn't agree with you. <laughs> how was your week this week? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Can't complain. Uh, didn't get a lot of sleep today. Why? I got woke up at three o'clock in the morning due to a work emergency. I know what that used to be like. I don't have that problem these days. <laughs> but I spent the last good, well, three quarters of the week on the road. I've seen every major city in Ohio this week. Toledo? That was one of them. How about Coshocton? I drove through Coshocton. <laughs> All right, you got me. You got me. Yeah. Coshocton's not a major city, thank you. That. For all of you Coshocton listeners, we apologize for that comment. <laughs> so, yeah, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Toledo, Akron, and Columbus. It's just uh, a lot of time on the road doing the day job. Yep. Which is why I look forward to doing this every weekend because this is fun, I think. I'm having fun. Well, we're still building our audience, you know, the, the New Zealand carryover hasn't really spread into mainland um, Australia. No, but we do have one listener in Papua New Guinea. Oh, maybe we're going the other way. <laughs> That's quite a transition. Um, so let's roll straight into our tangents this week. Um, we've got an interesting topic for you. We're going to tease you with it in the slow show Tantalize you. <laughs> Tantalizing. Um, but... Every week when we put these tangents together, they're kind of just, we're, we're not meaning to be inclusive of the week's major gaming news. Just thoughts that have crossed our heads that we want to talk about or bring up. Sometimes they lead into the topic. Sometimes, Sometimes they, don't. they don't. And this week, we're going to kick it off with a discussion around uh, the latest Shovel Knight game. Shovel Knight expansion. Okay. Is it, I thought it was standalone. It is as well. They've made it really confusing for buyers, but uh, it, when they did the original Kickstarter for Shovel Knight, they promised, uh, as part of the stretch goals, three additional campaigns featuring knights um, that you battle as Shovel Knight, those being Plague Knight, Spectre Knight, and King Knight. Um, last year, they came out with Plague Knight's campaign, and it turned, it, it turned out being basically an entirely new game. <laughs> Wasn't that tied to the uh, Amiibo? No. No, oh. it wasn't restricted by the Amiibo. Plague okay. Knight's campaign came out in all the other consoles. Um, co-op was tied to the campaign or to the Amiibo. Okay. Um, but as of the update coming out in early April, co-op's going to be available for all of the platforms. So let's back up a little bit. Yep. Because I'm not sure everybody and their brother knows what Shovel Knight is. They don't? Well... It's you're obsessed with it, <laughs> so I know you do, and then you know I do. But can, tell me a little bit about what Shovel Knight is. Why so, would anybody care? So Shovel Knight is sort of a retro-inspired NES game. Um, a lot of people our age um, look back longingly at games like Super Mario Three, Castlevania, Ducktales, um, and Mega Man. And uh, a couple guys that were formerly with Way Forward 
broke off to form their new studio, and they started off with a Kickstarter for a game called Shovel Knight. And they promised to bring back uh, that sort of old-school, simplistic gameplay. You know, two buttons, jump, and the other button, and move forward, platformer. Um, and they took a lot of inspiration from those games I mentioned, um, an 8-bit an 8-bit aesthetic um, and an 8-bit soundtrack. They even got uh, a couple composers from the original Mega Man game to contribute to the soundtrack. Now, when you hear that right there, you're like, okay, there's a thousand retro-inspired games out there at this point. Why do I care? Well, they nailed it. Uh, I mean, it's really well done, and it's not tied to that sort of... They did their own thing. It's got its own gameplay mechanic. It feels like a game that came out when the NES came out, if that makes sense. No, I, I, I've i played it. Yeah. Um, again, this is an era of gaming that I grew up in. And uh, playing, it kind of, I'm trying to think which game it really, so it's got elements of all of those games you mentioned. And the one that I kind of remember a lot, and maybe it's a visual thing because it's Shovel Knight himself, but... Uh, there was a game called Wizards and Warriors. Yep. That drove me nuts because it had this really imprecise jumping mechanic. Okay. Now, Shovel Knight doesn't have that problem. It has really tight controls. But the visuals just remind me of that game. And, I, and of course, back then, that was a game I spent days playing because you couldn't save it, right? Where you had to write down a super long code. And those are the days before we had you know memory cartridges. Um, but so Spectre of Torment is the new release, right? Yep. And we're, this isn't the only torment we're going to end up talking about tonight. Ironically, it seems to be <laughs> the label of the you know the month as far as gaming. Um, what what's included in this expansion? So let me let me rewind. You had Shovel Knight that came out in 2014. Very basic platformer. If you remember. Uh, DuckTales for the NES, the main mechanic of that was Scrooge McDunk uh, pogo jump on his cane. Yes. Didn't I do actually, that. I have the remake. I, I, yeah. I love that game. It's really hard. Um, I don't recall him doing that too much in the cartoon, but that was the main mechanic of the game. So the main mechanic of Shovel Knight is he has a shovel, surprisingly, and he can kind of bounce on enemies with a shovel using that, that mechanic. Um, it was a pretty straightforward platformer, a lot of attention to detail. Okay, done. Then Plague Knight's King came out uh, in 2015, 16, what was last year? 16. 16. And uh, it basically took, he was a boss in the original campaign, and they took his moveset and applied it to the game. Well, they had to take some of the levels and remix them to make them workable for sort of his like play style. For the most part, it was a sidequel. Um, in terms of story, it took place the same time as the Shovel Knight campaign. And the music was the same. They added a couple music tracks. But, it, you know, it's sort of like a... I don't want to say a copy and paste because that's not uh, giving it enough worth. But, it, you know, it was very, mm -hmm. okay, we changed the game up for this new character. Spectre of Torment is a brand new game. New levels... I mean, they're they're the same theme levels, but they're completely redesigned for the moveset, 100%. They have an entirely 100% revamped soundtrack for the game. Um, the story is a prequel to the original Shovel Knight game. So they redid the whole story, and it's basically the formation of the Order of No Quarter, who uh, 
Shovel Knight battles in the original campaign. And here's the thing. If you bought Shovel Knight previous to April right now, you got those two campaigns free. It doesn't matter what version you had. You're getting that content for free. And Shovel Knight itself is already a pretty complete game. And now it's just massive. Um, and the moveset of Spectre Knight is sort of reminiscent of like Mega Man X. He can kind of jump on walls and kind of it's, it's very movement based, kind of zigzaggy. Mm-hmm. Think think a mix between Mega Man X and also Zero um, with like the saber, but keeping in that kind of side scrolling, yeah, exactly jumping puzzles. But it, it, it's a the move set's completely different than Shovel Knight, completely different than Plague Knight, and uh, it kind of makes you have to rethink how you move through the levels. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I am I, I would I this came out the same day as Breath of the Wild. And as Sean has told me many times in the past few weeks that, that that's the only game I'm playing, um, I did play through this campaign and beat it um, 100%. And it's fantastic. Um, How long did that take you? I would say maybe six to eight hours. So reasonable for a platformer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not too long at all. Um, and I liked it a lot more than Plague Knight's campaign. Um, Plague Knight, he's very floaty. He doesn't have a lot of um, traction on the ground, and it was much more pit-based, where you would jump and fall, and that got really aggravating. I mean, it, it, Plague Knight is like expert Shovel Knight campaign. Mm-hmm. I would think uh, Spectre of Torment is above above Shovel Knight, but before Plague of Shadows. Okay, so if somebody was interested based on your description, what platforms could they pick this up on? Shovel Knight is available for PC, uh, PS3, PS4, PlayStation Vita, the Nintendo Wii U, the Nintendo 3DS, the Nintendo Switch, and Xbox One. It's on everything. And I said PC. It's on everything. Um, And right now they've raised the price from $15 to $24. And that's basically because they've been putting out all this content for free. Um, and I'm telling you right now, it, it will be the best $24 you've spent if you enjoy platformers. If you if you don't like Mega Man, you don't like uh, Mario Bros. or anything of that nature, you're not going to enjoy it any differently than you enjoy those games. But if you love those games, you are going to find something you love in Shovel Knight. So it sounds like a pretty solid recommendation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, so moving on to the next tangent. Next tangent, Destiny 2 we know it's a game, and we have a date, and we have a teaser trailer. Yeah, so there's a little bit more coming out. Um, my belief is that leak that we talked about in the last episode kind of forced Activision's hand, and I think they're they're revealing some of their marketing early. Uh, but what we did get this week was a teaser trailer, which was all kind of cutscene footage with voice acting, and specifically Nathan Fillion, reprising his role from the first game, Cade Six, who's kind of known as a smartass. And uh, he basically, in the first teaser we saw this week, is sitting in a bar as the world is falling apart around him, talking about this big battle and how they're you know the end has come to the city and and how he was taking care of everything and then it pans out and he's still in that battle yeah the battle's still going on around (laughs) him and he's sitting there in a bar having a drink so it 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 was typically tongue-in-cheek it seems like a lot more fun than a lot of the story was in the first game yeah the story in the first one 
for where it did show up was very stoic, very, what's the word, Uh, very uh, rigid in its delivery. Yeah, and there wasn't a lot of humor. It was very somber. somber. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it, you're talking about you know the all these evil things had wiped out the one source of goodness in the universe that had given mankind a golden age and kind of regressed and everybody's dead and nobody's traveling the stars anymore and and all these bad things are now coming to earth that was the main you know you know 50,000 foot view plot of destiny and then your characters are resurrected and have to kind of bring light back to the universe um, in this case what we we're seeing it was first off that kind of tongue-in-cheek thing and then they said well Two days later, which was last Thursday at this point, they were going to have a full teaser, which is a story-based teaser. Again, there's there's no indication of new game systems, how the game's going to play, what the differences are. Though they did have a tongue-in-cheek reference to why you're not going to be able to take your gear forward, which is another, again, they had the voice actors reprising their roles as kind of their three main class character leaders. Cade Six being the leader for one of the classes. Um, I can't remember the name of the voice actor, but the the guy who was the government leader on Fringe. Um, okay. That and he has a really deep kind of bazo voice. He plays the Titan leader, which are the big, you know, the the, the knight types. And then there's the warlock class, and that's um, she was in that too, but. There's this parallel where the knights are giving this inspirational speech to rally everybody to save the world, and Cade Six is again having another one of his smarmy, smartass conversations with all of these other scout hunter classes, and he's sitting there talking about, you know, most importantly, they blew up all our stuff when they blew up the tower. So that's why none of your gear is going to go with you, because because the bad guys showed up and they blew up the armory. I think that's kind of funny. Um, it's like they acknowledged that everybody was upset about it and just kind of let it happen. And so they gave an in-universe kind of tongue-in-cheek reference for why you no longer have all your cool loot. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I like when games sort of do that. They Even if it's a dumb explanation or movies or, or games, even if it's a stupid explanation, as long as there is one, then it's like, okay, whatever. They, they're they acknowledging it. Okay, yeah. I'm acknowledging it. Let's move on. Well, and they deliver it. Nathan Fillion is the voice actor. Yeah. So he, he's delivering it with complete kind of, I, I don't know, his swagger is in his voice. Yeah, exactly. Right? And uh, the other piece of big information that came out of this reveal is we have confirmation that the PC Master Race will be joining the Destiny forces. So they are releasing Destiny 2 on the PC. Now, they also revealed that, just like with Destiny 1, there's exclusive timed content tied to the PlayStation 4. So let's let's talk about that just a little bit. Do you think PC players are going to embrace this game where last last cycle the last the last the first one they said no this is console only no we're not acknowledging you we're doing exclusive content on the playstation and now they're coming back to pc and saying 
Oh, no, 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 no. Come, come, come on. Come on. This is going to be an awesome game. We want you here. Um, don't worry about that first game. Also, all exclusive content still on the PS4. I mean, <laughs> they're sending a weird message. It is a bit of a weird message, but it, it all comes down to contracts, right? And so we've got Bungie finally probably ready, and they had to figure out, like Halo, right? Halo was owned by Microsoft, they should have had all those Halo games on the PC platform to begin with. We've seen Halo 2. Yeah, the and, first and second, I and, think, are the only two that ever made it. Right. Along with... Uh, Halo Wars. Yeah, Halo Wars. Well, now, when Halo Wars 2 came out, they released the redone Halo Wars and Halo Wars 2 for the PC. But, so, I don't think it's a weird thing. I, I honestly think there was a lot of kind of FPS players on the PC. And, and, and I here again, I'm one of these people who bridges the gap, right? I have a, a gaming PC. I have all the consoles. I play the right game on the right system. And some games play better on the PS4. Some games play better on the Xbox. And some games I will always prefer on the PC. But even then, I usually end up getting them on the consoles too. Right, and also for multiplayer games, you got to think who's the crowd that are going to be, you know, where are my friends going to be playing this? Right. Are they going to be playing on PC? Are they going to be playing on PlayStation 4? Are they going to be playing on both? Which friends do I care about more? Yes. <laughs> so in my case, um, and I'm probably not an average consumer, but I played on the PS4 for Destiny 1. I will play on the PS4 for Destiny 2. And I'm assuming most of the friends I have that played will also be moving forward on the PS4. Uh, they're not likely to switch. And most of the people, I'll be frank, I don't play a lot of multiplayer games other than MMOs and Diablo and those types of things on my PC. On my PC, I, I go to that for Bethesda games. I go to that for Mass Effect, where I want to see this absolute visual fidelity or the survival games like subnautica and you know minecraft i play those types of games too right so i don't think it's a, a bad decision on activision's part they're trying to make destiny into this huge franchise where i mean all intents and purposes it really wasn't huge the first one no i mean if you compare it to other other it's not call of duty yeah right and it they marketed it like it was um, and continued to do so, but we'll I don't know. To, I, we'll I, see. I prefer it to your traditional FPS at this point because of exactly the things we talked about in passing last time, which is the Diablo-like loot right. cycle. Well, it has a, 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 uh, a very good reward or short, what's the, like, you know, the play... What's the word I'm looking well, for? Well, you can drop in, drop out. Right. You've got a very quick um, reward cycle. Right. So you just play for an hour, and you're likely to get something you like. Yeah, and you can go through a couple missions in a short succession and then set it down And you can well. very easily, at least on the PS4, I haven't played it on the Xbox, um, jump into a party with your friends or be assigned to equivalent people on the service, and you have no trouble getting into raids and... You know, some of those more co-op-centric game modes. Right. So, uh, 
but it September eighth is now confirmed as the release date, and it's supposedly going to release on all platforms at the same time. I'm sort of halfway in excitement. I need to finish uh, the last uh, two <laughs> <laughs> expansions for Destiny. Um, I, I I can't say that I'm like, oh man, I can't wait for this game. But at the same time, there is a lot of excitement because there's a lot of unknowns. You know, There's yes. a lot of things that we don't know what this game's going to be. Because if we think it's just going to be a sequel, yeah, it's not exciting. But we'll have to wait until E3 before they show us what Destiny 2 actually is actually we don't have to wait for e3 no they announced at the end of the teaser that they will be doing a gameplay reveal in may oh so we're about a month out and then that's the build-up to e3 so at e3 we'll get a bunch of info because we really don't have much time till this game's out no now my big fear is they're following the same release model which is if you buy the digital deluxe edition you get the game and the first two expansions. So they're already telling you, we're not going to give you everything we have planned in the game when you buy it. Well, and we could do a whole episode about DLC, but, I mean, think about some of the deluxe editions that have come out for other games. They didn't even include the DLC, so at least there's an option this time to buy a version that has the DLC. But, I mean, those games, they're made to sell you... oh. Add-on, add-on, add-on. Again, if it's good quality release, I'm okay with that. Destiny 1, the first two expansions, were seriously underwhelming. Agreed. It wasn't until you got to the third expansion, which was the Taken King, that the game really kind of came into its own. And then Rise of Iron, which is the last expansion, continued that trend. So... Hopefully, we won't have those same problems, and the game has evolved, and the developers have learned from the mistakes of the first game. Anyway, so enough about Destiny 2. We probably won't talk about that for the next few weeks. If you've got any interest, or or you've had a different experience, you can always just kind of give us your feedback, and we'll, we'll talk about it if, if there's yeah. enough of that. Make sure you guys comment on our uh, Facebook, Twitter, this blog post. There's yep. ways to get in touch with us. Yeah, we're trying to build a little bit more interactivity. We know we know that people are listening, but we're in, it's kind of like an echo chamber. Uh, cue cricket sound. <laughs> Anyhow, so, let's move on to the next tangent. Okay. Twitter in yes. their Oh man, everybody loves Twitter. It is such an amazing website. And it is 2017 and they have finally Develop the technology that does not count at replies towards your character count. I I wish they would stop counting at replies. Links. Links and tags. Yep. 140 characters should be content characters, but they're not there yet. And, and, and just a, a reminder for those that may not remember, wasn't weren't around when Twitter first came out, it was developed as a SMS communications platform that was also on the web, people were posting to Twitter via their uh, T9 keyboards on their phones. Which is why they had that limit. Yeah, and that's why that limit was there. Now, it did lead to a brevity in statements, and I, I I like Twitter a lot more than the rants on Facebook. But, you know, 
it, it doesn't fix the problem of somebody making 30 posts about some rant, but... Or a certain politician streaming ideas across multiple posts. Yeah, exactly. It, it's... So people will always circumvent the limits. That's the thing oh, you yeah. figure out. There, there's always rules were meant to be broken. <laughs> so but, if you're a Twitter user, you can rejoice that they're kind of listening to what we were all complaining about six years ago. Now, the funny thing about Twitter is I don't use the official apps or the official web page at all. I'm using TweetBot, which is a iOS client, and I have it for MacBook. And to me, it's going to be... It's very hard to go back to the the actual intended uh, display of tweets because I just like I like a list and I also like to catch up on my timeline mm-hmm. and I don't like the whole algorithm bullshit of well these are the tweets that you missed that we think you'll like like I just you know and sometimes I'm just like just bring me to current and let's move on. What's well, the same problem we have with Facebook? Yeah, but Twitter is known to be like a real time up to date. Uh, communication platform and Facebook, meh, whatever. But I mean, people are live tweeting events, TV, etc. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be kind of interject. If you go to Facebook, I follow the National Weather Service on Facebook. Don't worry about it. But <laughs> I'll, I'll go on to Facebook and it'll be like, severe thunderstorm warning. Make sure that you take shelter and do all these things posted yesterday at 926. Why is... <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a failure. I don't care anymore. Yeah, the storm is probably passed. Yeah, exactly. Or you died and don't care. Exactly. And I'm checking Facebook in heaven. So anyhow, let's move on to the last tangent. Which, again, has torment in the name. Yeah. Uh, this time, it's my classic throwback tangent, which is Planescape Torment. So, I'm a D&D geek. I mean, nerd, whatever the phrase is these days. Nerd. It's nerd. Um, always have been, always will be. And the golden age of D&D games for me is really the third-person isometric games made by Black Isle and um, released by Interplay, mostly. And of the best of all of those games is a game called Planescape Torment, often regarded as the best you know, role-playing game of the 90s. Um, if not of all time, on the PC. And uh, there's a company called Beamdog, which is a number of the developers who used to work on those games when Black Isle existed and Interplay and Bioware. And they've all spun off and they've kind of spent the last few years redeveloping those games for the audiences like myself who still love them, even though it's kind of a dead genre. Uh, which is seeing a resurgence, and we'll come back to that in a few minutes. But Planescape Torment Remastered is going to be released. It was Well, first off, it was announced this week, and it's going to be released April 11th. Okay, wow, that's quick turnaround. And it's not just on the PC or the Mac. It's also on iOS and Android. Interesting. So the difference between this, if you've played Baldur's Gate and you haven't played Planescape... Planescape is a bit of a odd duck. It's a very strange setting, and your character doesn't follow those traditional D&D roles. You start out as this, and, and this is an overused trope, amnesiac who has to remember himself. And then the character's called the Nameless One. And so as you're going through the city, 
and, and you wake up in a morgue with a talking skull who seems to know you, though he quickly lets on that he doesn't. And, and you have to try and rediscover who you are. And there's some pretty gruesome and bizarre things for a D&D game. It's not your traditional swords and dragons and all of that. And the writing in the game is just wonderful. Uh, there's some very deep character stories. Each of the companions that you meet have very interesting backgrounds. They're not just, I grew up in a small fishing village and decided to become a ranger. And then I'm going to talk to him again. I grew up in a small fishing village, yeah. and then I decided to become a ranger. And, and one of the things, cause, so this was near the end of the Infinity Engine cycle, right? So the developers had, had spent a lot of time on this. They really learned how to use the engine, and they wrote it very responsively. So there's some conversations where you only get one shot at what you say, and it changes the dialogue. Oh, okay. So that was not unheard of. But it was not common in those types of games at the time. And it's the spiritual predecessor to the recently released Torment Tides of Numenara, which is a Kickstarter game written by the same people, basically. Uh, they knew that there was a lot of people interested in those style of games. We had Pillars of Eternity kickstarted and made lots of money on Kickstarter. Then... In Exile, who made the Wasteland games, went back and said, hey, we're going to do a spiritual sequel to Planescape Torment. And they made tons of money, and they released that last month. So one of those games that, you know, if you didn't play it, and you like games with lots of reading, so there's a warning, it's not fully voiced, it's not, there are some cutscenes, but it's it's a tactical game. You have to learn the game systems. They're a little bit arcane because they're Dungeons and Dragons and they are a fairly accurate tactical system based on D&D uh, 2.5. Okay. So a little bit it's it's second edition D&D with some things from third edition kind of bolted on to make the game run a little bit better. Um, but it, that'll be out within 2 weeks. Great. Kind of came out of nowhere. Which is good because now I got to buy it. Again. Now I have to buy it again on PC, well, iOS, and Android. Well, I so funnily enough, GOG, good old games, has all those games running under Windows 10 that you can buy for really inexpensively, the original games. And there's a bunch of fan made patches to bring them up to modern levels. These redos by Beamdog have actual new animations. They have cleaned up backgrounds. The interfaces are reworked to to fit widescreen and modern graphic resolutions. Because we're talking about most PCs when these games came out didn't get higher than 1024 by 768. And so they didn't scale. And you had to have people kind of hack that into them. So it'll be interesting. I'm really looking forward to it. I've already bought Icewind Dale, the two Baldur's Gate games on both my PC and my uh, Android, so I can play them on my tablet. Um, it, I'm I'm gonna do the same thing here. I love this game. It's just cool. so much fun. It, it just reminded me of another. Uh ad hoc tangent i'm going to add on here but uh blizzard announced that they are coming out with 
StarCraft Remastered. Yes. Yeah, I forgot about that last week. Um, which I don't want to talk about it too much, but they had hinted at updating a couple of their older games like a year ago, hiring on some staff. Um, and I saw a quick teaser trailer of it, and it looks great. Um, it, I, I like when developers support their old games and find ways for people to play them again. And yeah, there may not be an audience in the esports arena other than you know South Korea, but um, you know it may not have the staying power that it used to. But mm-hmm. it's still nice to see them revamping an older game, keeping the the game mechanics, the balancing intact, while updating it so it doesn't have to be played on a VGA monitor. Well, interestingly, once that redo comes out, they're making the original versions free for anybody. Yeah. So it's not just that they're going to make you buy it again. It's that, oh, if you already own it, you already own it. But if you didn't play it and you want to try it, it's completely free. The new version you'd have to pay for. Right. So, yeah, no, that StarCraft has such an important place in kind of multiplayer games. Absolutely. Especially strategy, which is a dying genre. Um, which leads us into this week's main topic. All right, let's let's go. Bring out your dead as one. Ninepence. I'm not dead. What? Nothing. Here's your ninepence. I'm not dead. Yeah. He says he's not dead. Yes, he is. I'm not. He isn't? Well, he will be soon. He's very ill. I'm getting better. No, you're not. You'll be stone dead in a moment. Oh, I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. I don't want to go on the car. Oh, don't be such a baby. I can't take him. I feel fine. Well, do us a favour. I can't. Well, can you hang around a couple of minutes? He won't be long. No, I've got to go to Robinson's. They've lost nine today. Well, when's your next run? Thursday. I think I'll go for a walk. You're not fooling anyone, you know. Look, there's no something you can do. I feel happy. I feel happy. Ah, oh, thanks very much. Oh, it's all. See you on right. All right. Thanks to Monty Python for that great lead-in. <laughs> I heard this, and I basically said this is a perfect way to, to start the conversation. And so our topic this week is dying or dead game genres. And as you heard from our tangents over the last week and this week, we talked about nostalgia in the last episode. This is not quite the same thing. This is a situation where styles of games, way people play games, have all evolved in the last 20 years. Right. And there's some game types that just kind of got left behind. Yeah, and I think a lot of things we've seen with Kickstarters are a lot of people that love these genres. They love the genres, and they want to bring back the genres in a relevant format. And yeah, obviously there may be some nostalgic tie-ins with music or 8-bit aesthetics or something. But ultimately, I think the goal for a lot of these are to bring back a genre that's not as big as it used to be. Platformers used to be like the, the types yeah. of games that we played. Um and beat 'em ups as well. I mean, how many beat 'em ups were there on the Sega and Super Nintendo? I mean, that's yeah. they're not making Streets of Rage anymore. Yeah, exactly. 
or Double Dragon or any of those. Or if they do, they're purposely porting the old game right. into a new game. And how do you how do you modernize a game like that? Can you? I mean, that's that's the challenge. But the problem is that many of us still want those games. Not enough to make them commercially viable, right? A publisher's not going to spend time on that. Well, and I think that's that's why Kickstarter's so invaluable um, today because it gives publishers, developers a method of saying, okay, we have this game we want to develop. Would you buy it? Um, and you will find surprisingly, yeah, it's not going to be a triple a game, but there's a significant base of people, a core group of people that want that type of game. Um, one, one game genre that sticks out to me, um, and it was a game I was talking to my wife about Stardew Valley, mm-hmm. um, which harkens back to Harvest Moon. Um, you may relate it a little bit to Animal Crossing. It's just a very chill RPG-ish sort of game. But it's and to me and and maybe Sean too. It's not our cup of tea um, just to go into a game world and talk to people and water plants. No. However, it's the reason I don't like The Sims, actually. <laughs> However, there is a solid group of people that want that genre that haven't had it in a, about a decade. It's not just that. So Stardew Valley came out last year and had a huge run of success. It's a genre that most people have never played. And the thing that I've heard the most feedback on was it was a non-threatening, non-violent game. You just, you could still accomplish things. You could still do, build a farm up, but you didn't have to kill people to do it. So it, it, it appealed to a different audience than your traditional strategy or role-playing game. Right. But there is an audience um, and I think that's why we've seen some of these genres die off is they're not the majority audiences. They're very niche audiences, small groups of people, but can they be commercially commercially viable? So let's run through a few different genres that we think kind of fall into this. The one that always comes to mind for me... Adventure games? Is adventure games. Yep. Um, and when I say that, fans of adventure games are going to come back and go, well, adventure games never went away. Right, There were always publishers out there making adventure games. Um, but at one point, the King's Quest series, the Space Quest series, all of the Sierra online games were some of the biggest sellers in the industry. They're gone. The company's gone. Nobody's making those games anymore. LucasArts doesn't make those games. Any- well, LucasArts doesn't exist anymore, but none of those games exist. They're coming back. And, and to say they don't exist i mean uh you have telltale different type of game it is different right but it it's an adventure isk game and then you have um uh thimbleweed park coming out mm-hmm. or which is made by one of the original creators uh ron gilbert that's his new he's from those line of adventure yep. games he was at LucasArts. Um, and we've seen remasters of Grim Fandango, Day of the Tentacle, and they're uh, doing the other one. Full Throttle. Which are all getting remasters, Tim Schafer. Um, yeah. Well, and Gilbert was and involved Gilbert, in, yeah. in uh, most of those. The other game series 
that's seen some revitalization out of this genre was the Monkey Island games. Yeah. On Wait. the Wii, right? They they brought those back to the Wii where... Wii and the P- PC. Yeah. And they, they were t- kind of converted over to Telltale style, which at the time, Telltale wasn't doing what they're doing now. So they've evolved kind of in what they did with uh, Walking Dead was really where their games kind of switched. Right. But, uh, yeah, so what I can attest that to is we had a rise of 3D full motion games, right, which don't take as much time to make. I'm not sure how that's true, but people just seem to prefer them after a while. Um, But here's the other thing. I think we left a lot of game players behind when that genre started to die. Yeah, and I think we've... The, you know, a lot of people like my my wife in particular. I'm gonna I'm gonna single her out. Um, didn't didn't have a chance to play some of those games that would come out, and those are the, it's exactly the type of game she would love a non threatening story based adventure where it involves puzzle thinking, funny dialogue, and there's no combat. <laughs> and there's often character driven too. Yeah. So and you know it, the thing that just came to my mind is I'm thinking of Bioshock um Infinite. Mm-hmm. Which was a very story-based character-based driven game um but then when we threw in shooting. <laughs> yeah. It, it's almost one of those games where you think like could that exist as an adventure game and just take out the combat. And I think it was the biggest debate when that game came out but people are trying to infuse some of those elements into modern genres. Well, look at the Bioware games. Actually, most of those have those elements when you talk about the dialogue. So Mass Effect as a series, not the latest entry necessarily, but they were competent third-person action games with kind of choose-your-own-adventure dialogue that was what drove the story. If you pull the combat out, I think you would find that we would have a very different... Well, we've seen in Dragon Age 2. Um, also, not Dragon Age 2. But <laughs> um, we're, the plot and character is what grabs certain players. And, and I'm going to generalize here, and forgive me for this, but most of the female gamers that I know who are excited about these types of games are excited for those elements. They, they kind of tolerate the combat, the shooting. My wife, like yours, but she's a little older. She did play through all those games in that genre. She had those opportunities. So when that genre died, she was left going, they're not making games for me anymore. Because we jumped onto the bromance that is you know kind of the action games with the fps's and one guy is going to shoot everybody in the face coming this fall face shooter three on mars (laughs) yeah it's it's kind of and it's funny because when i put put together the list of these dead or dying games one of the genres i put on here i thought would be interesting to talk about is first-person shooters. Yeah, let's talk about that. I think they're dying. I think... Well, it's it's hard because every time we think they're dying, somebody comes back with one. 
Like think think last year we thought Doom came back. Doom's fantastic. It threw all of the uh let's say modern tropes of cover-based fire and uh story-based like the world is ending and it just said you're a guy there are demons from hell shoot them in the face here's a bunch of guns don't worry about reloading or hiding behind things and yeah there's a there's still that machismo element to it but it didn't it didn't uh focus on that like we were talking about duke nukem last episode i mean it's there but it's just move it to the side it's just shoot things well and the other thing that it did is it amped up the adrenaline right that is a game where from the second you sit down to play it the music the setting everything is driving you to move and and the movement in it is very good it's not you know how you have to hold all these first person shooter games that have come out in the last decade it's like uh, hold this button to sprint. There is no sprint button in Doom. You are sprinting the entire time. The movement is just really fast and fluid, and I feel like a lot of games forgot that Yeah. to make the movement fun in a first-person shooter. But the reason I said this, as we're looking at the trends, so there's some other big genres that historically were huge. Flight simulators, strategy games... These are genres that used to rule the entire market. Um, now there's almost no games in either category. Yeah, I can't even think of a flight simulator game. Microsoft used to have theirs, and that was a big one, but I can't even think when they last released theirs. Uh, so Flight Sim X came out in 2010, I think. It was so the last time like they put out a major seven one. Seven years now. Yeah. And then you still have flight sims. So there's been a resurgence. And especially space flight sims, right? So the X-Wings of the world have kind of... You've got Elite Dangerous. Right. You've got, well, whenever the next Chris Roberts game comes out... Well, I won't even mention it because I think it's such a disaster. Which was also kind of kick-started. They did player backing to... And so was Elite, actually. People have recognized that there's still a lot of folks who want to play it. But... Nobody sells joysticks anymore. Everything's done with a controller. Um, there's a DCS, which is Digital Combat Simulator, which has like military-grade simulation of warplanes. To actually take off in that... Well, it's not, I, I don't even want to call it a game. Um, but to take off, you buy an airplane type, so like an A-10 Warthog... You decide you're going to buy You go through a flight checklist just like the pilots that I worked with when I was in the Marine Corps did. And it could take you 40 minutes to do your pre-flight checks before you even take off. And then you're flying in real time. I mean, these are games that you absolutely have to be an enthusiast to play. And you always had to be to a large extent. It's just now we've got so much money in the industry... And so much um, labor invested that I don't think the publishers see a win in selling to a small market. And we kind of talked about this last episode. You know, I brought up Nintendo. Nintendo didn't make those sort of like weird, offy, one-off games where you're like, what the heck were they thinking? Oh, it's kind of weird and different. Everybody's playing it much more closer to the chest of what they think is going to be financially successful. Now, I can say that I've contributed to several 
Kickstarters for games um, like this. I mean, mm-hmm. I, and I think people are finding that's the new model, right? You're not going to make a... Uh, flight simulators are never going to take the mass market. Nobody's going to be like, you're not going to see a commercial <laughs> during the Super Bowl for a flight simulator. <laughs> no, not not anymore. But I think there's a resurgence. I think I think it's not all doom and gloom at the same time. I think you're seeing a lot of resurgence and a lot of re-interest in these games. Uh, Undertale, right? Mm-hmm. Um, classic old school sort of JRPG, but more in the style of Earthbound or Mother 3, um, where you're just... Don't worry about the combat's there, but that's not the main element. It's just a story-driven experience. Um, and it's just different than anything out there. That game is huge now. I mean, if you look, uh, mm-hmm. people love it, the music. I mean, it is, it's out there. And I think that brings people back. I mean, will we see another Undertale in the next 10 years? Maybe not. Um, not a sequel, but I mean, another game in that right. genre that's going to bring everybody back. I think that it, it's an ebb and flow, right? We've The fan base has been asking Nintendo for two console releases. Please bring us Mother 3 to North America. And for those that you don't know, it's an RPG that was released in Japan and it's it's basically a spiritual successor to Earthbound. There are fan translations for that game. If you want to play that game in America, you can, just not through an official channel. People want that game. And Nintendo, yeah, could have they'd have to put money behind it to localize the game. But I think they would recoup their cost and make the fan base happy. That's if Nintendo was driven by those things. Right, right. That's a whole other discussion. <laughs> but then, so they don't do it. And then Undertale comes out. And all those people that have been kind of waiting for that kind of a game find something else. I mean, I would put Shovel Knight in that genre. Um, let's. I'm going to use this as a segue into the other thing we talked about. But people find these new games and they it, it sort of sees a resurgence, even if it's for a short time. Right? Do you, do you agree? No, I absolutely do. Um, now, let's talk about the counter effect of that in a little game that I call Mighty Dumpster Fire Number 9. <laughs> Mighty Number 9 for those. Um, again, this was supposed to be a spiritual successor for Mega Man. Jump and shoot, jump and shoot, 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 jump, 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 shoot, shoot. Um, pretty simplistic. Well, and that's because... Capcom. Capcom has forgotten about Mega Man. They haven't forgotten. Well, they still market the heck out of him. Oh, well, yeah. That, any way they can generate money on him without making a new game. Exactly. That's not a spinoff mobile title that involves card collecting and transferring microtransactions. I don't know. That may or may not Pachinko. be Pachinko. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so when Mighty Number no. 9, Mighty no. 9 was announced in Kickstarter... The premise of it sounded amazing. We're going to bring back that classic style, you know, fighting bosses, jump and shoot. And it was, you know, headed by one of the co-founders of Mega Man. So you've got a name in the industry that understands that. So you're like, okay, this isn't just some off studio. This is a lot of former people in that franchise being involved in the creation of something new. And that game was in development for three years. 
And then they started a Kickstarter halfway through for a pseudo sequel. And you just saw all these weird things where they were. It's like, no, just show us the game. Show us this game you're making. Show us the game. And we didn't see that. And when the game finally came out, it's a dumpster fire. It is horrible. <laughs> it is bad. It is absolutely horrible. Not completely unplayable, but darn close. And it, to me, you've now you had that avid fan base of Mega Man players that you've basically taken their money, you've marketed nostalgia, you have a genre that's dead, and to me, it's almost like you're preying on that market. You're a predator on that market now, because you didn't. Nothing of that lived up to the expectations. The music, the gameplay, the art style, nothing of it. So, when you talk about these dying g- game genres, I guess where am I going with this? But basically, it it only takes that kind of game when people are like, maybe we don't want this anymore. Let's move on. I, I think. So I'll counter that. Um, and the game's not out yet. Another Kickstarter, which is Konami, has stopped making Castle. Okay, so Castlevania games. The way I the way I uh, bring these games up to people mm-hmm. to to say what they are. Um, when I was describing Mighty Number no. Nine, it's not Mega Man, Mega Man, and the new game that's coming out is not Castlevania, Castlevania. Right. Ritual of the Night, Bloodstain. Yep. And again, uh, one of the, not the creator, but one of the shepherds of the franchise, one of the guys that was involved with Symphony of the Night, um, is coming back to bring us a genre. Um, mm-hmm. cast, or, uh, so it's or, a gothic platformer. Yeah, gothic platform, Metroidvania, is that what they sort of call, yep. call it. And we've seen how it can go horrible with Mighty Number no. 9. I think that those were announced pretty close in succession. Um, and again, it involved publishers, Capcom, Konami, that were known for these games that sort of said, oh, those aren't important anymore. Right. When we're going to make those. And so they go through this campaign, and, and we're seeing a lot of the same problems with that campaign as we saw with Mighty Number no. 9, which is delays, delays. Here's a little bit of gameplay. See, I, I'm okay with delays. If I, I can completely understand... Like, Breath of the Wild was delayed, like, three times. Um, Whenever a game is delayed, I never get upset. I get a little upset, like, oh, man, I can't play that as soon as You're disappointed. I'm disappointed. But ultimately, I pray and hope that that's going to result in a better game. And I would say the majority of time when games are delayed, they do. Now, what, what you exactly said, it's being delayed, but we're not seeing anything about it. Yeah. At least show us something about what it is. The other, the other challenge, and we saw this with Mighty Number no. Nine, was they're announcing new platforms after the Kickstarter is closed. Yeah, and that that was to play devil's advocate. I think that was uh, I think that was a nail a nail in Mighty Number no. 9's coffin. They in the Kickstarter pledged to come out to like twenty different platforms, all of the platforms simultaneously, and 
as we know, porting games to different platforms is problematic, and it's not easy. It's not easy at all. And, I mean, the amount of time that you take to develop a game can also be used to port from, like, a PS4 to a Wii U at the time, right? Wii U was much more difficult to bring your gameplay from a main console to a different console, or PC, etc. Well, and the key in doing that for most of these games is using an engine yeah. that exists on all of them. Like Unity or... Or Unreal. Unreal. Yep. And and most of these do, actually. Most of these Kickstarters, when you look at... They're, they're using common engines. They're not building their own game engine. They're layering their own games on top of it. But you're right. It, you have a finite amount of money, and almost all of the games that I've backed on Kickstarter, and I've backed probably 15 or 20 at this point, all of them were delayed. None of them hit their target. One of them's still not out, and I backed it like four years ago. Um, but that's okay. I'm, I mean, they've been doing a good job of saying, here's what we're doing, here's why it's taking this long, here's a little bit to show you where we're going and why we did this, and, and they're interacting with people. But when I see these dying genres, they, the danger still is exactly what you called out. If you try and have a resurgence and you're, you're preying on the community who have enough passion to follow something that isn't mainstream, and you effectively kick them in the face and say, thanks for all your money, we really don't care if you like the game or not, and they move on. And that's kind of what happened with Mighty Number no. 9. Yeah, and if they ever try to make another game... They're not. They're not going to sell it. They're, they. Nobody's going to go back to them and say, "Oh yeah, I remember what you did. I, I'm going to give you a second chance." They're done. They're not going to bring it. They're done. Um, what was that? Concept is the name of yeah. the developers. The question is, did it do lasting harm to the genre? I don't think it did. No, no. And again, I don't. I don't think it did. And I think, you know, Capcom probably. I'm hoping took notes from that. That whole cycle um what people are looking for and and it's funny i think it was the same around the same time guess what launched right shortly within the same time frame as uh mighty number nine what's that the mega man legacy collection oh yeah the first six games for ps4 xbox one and pc and it wasn't it was a it was a good compilation and usually those compilations can be hit or miss but i mean it was tight controls the developer um, kind of re-engineered the engine that those games... It's not just a ROM. They re-engineered the engines that those games were ran on and ported... You know how when uh, re-releases happen, they kind of take out bugs or something? They said, no, all those bugs that you love, those are in there too. It were, it's one-to-one, my friends. Um, which was a fantastic nod to the fan base. Yeah. So, again, I think with that... And Mighty Number no. 9's launch, Capcom's hopefully taking notes. Um, they're launching a Mega Man cartoon this summer. Um, the original artwork design for the character was horrible. There has been a new teaser with a revamped character design that's a little more back to classic Mega Man. So I think everybody's anticipating they're going to have a game release within that to mm-hmm. kind of cross-promote each. Um, well, they can't just make... Resident Evil games. Yeah, what does Capcom make besides uh, Street Fighter, Street Fighter, and, and Resident Evil? Right now, they're not doing a whole lot more. A Dead Rising, I guess. 
Okay. So they're milking three franchises yeah. for their entire game division. And and Street you, Fighter Five again, go put back. Put on Monster Hunter. That's all they need. Yeah. <laughs> In Japan, everybody buys Monster Hunter. Yeah, everybody does. You tell me not to say everybody, but I'm pretty no, sure everybody I'm, I'm in with Japan. You. There are six-year-old girls playing Monster Hunter <laughs> next to 57-year-old men. It's it's just that big over there. So to, to move this topic forward, one of the talking points we have here is how do old games age? You know, we talk back to all these games, these game genres. Do genres die? Do they become no longer relevant where it's like, well, yeah, that's dumb. So I think, again, we have nostalgia to thank. And publishers will have one or two bad games, and they'll say, oh, this whole genre is not viable, and they shelve it. And as long as we and, and get to think back, 10 years ago, we didn't have an active indie development scene where the indie is the bleeding edge, and it's also the trailing edge. Indie developers, like the guys who made Shovel Knight, said, this is the type of game we want to make. And we're going to make it, and there's some risk, but it's 15 guys, 5 guys, 12 guys, whatever. And when I say guys, that's generic. It's not gender-based. Um, and we're going to put it out there, and if it sells, we'll make more. If it doesn't sell, we made the game we wanted to make. And eventually they get publishers, and eventually they get distribution and all that stuff, which is what happened. Uh, and what you see with most of these Kickstarters, actually, is these genres. So another genre that has been kind of booming in the last two years is the isometric RPG. I love anything in an isometric viewpoint. Yeah. I love it. I don't know why. I don't know why I love it. I mean, you could... It's... I was thinking of, like, Light Crusader, you know, Diablo. Mm -hmm. I love the top-down isometric view. Super kind of Mario the God R view. Super Mario RPG, also isometric. I don't know what it is about it. More games need to adopt that. Well, and what we see as a trend is hyper-realistic first-person graphics, which are hard to sell and take a lot of work. Um, you're kind of platform where you've got... You know, static animations at a fixed size and tile-based environments. Well, Final we, Fantasy Tactics. Yes. Or, you uh, know, uh, Disgaea. I was going to say Shining Force, but that wasn't isometric. Well, Shining Force wasn't isometric, but... It could be. Uh, okay. Now, so my view is, why do these things... Why do these... How do games age? What happens is the hardware surpasses the game and the publishers don't always pull them forward. And so when your NES dies, you can't play your NES games and you can't buy an NES. Most people, right? Not people who go to, you know, garage sales and find somebody's old Nintendo entertainment center. But that's why I think this ebbs and flows. And again, game design, game publishing are profit centric businesses there will always and i'm going to use an absolute here there will always be game designers out there making games in almost every genre you can think of whether you can find them or not is one of the challenges yeah and i mean i think we see a lot of uh 
you know, a lot of things are dying, but I think we're really in the golden age of those. We're in a golden age of a lot of things. We have a lot of choices available to us. I mean, yeah, we've got the triple A's, but there's a lot of stuff out there and we're seeing a lot of resurgence in bringing older games back from the dead, um, making older, just older games available in general to new audiences. So let me turn this around. Is there a specific genre that you, Jared, would want to come back onto the AAA stage? Um, that's it's difficult because, um, as as you know, Sean, I love platformers. Mm-hmm. I love them. I mean, I, I like to see what you can do with the idea. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, look, Mario's jumping. Oh, cool, he's got a mushroom that turns him into a, a vacuum cleaner this time. I don't know. I, I like platformers. They're simple. Um, they offer a challenge, and they do innovate, but maybe a little slower than other games. Um, the last, I don't even know, would you consider it AAA? Um, was Rayman, Legends, and Origins. Mm-hmm. Were the two... Um, platformer games that were made by ubisoft and well actually they were made for a small team inside of ubisoft right 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 as a prototype and shown to the internal studio and everybody loved playing it and they said huh we should sell this but i mean that's the last big platformer game i can remember outside of nintendo nintendo comes out with platformers all the time it's kind of a staple and, and they own it and they do it pretty uh pretty good yeah um okay let me turn that around yeah is there a genre you want to see die i am tired i i I don't know i I, i'm not i'm not a person that says oh i'm i don't want to see this ever there's every game has an audience i would just like to see more diversity in the triple a market um i'm tired of just I'm, I would say first-person shooters, non-innovative first-person shooters. Um, so you're saying the yearly Call of Duties? Yeah, like I'm tired. If, if there's a genre I'd get rid of, it's the annual release cycle. Get rid of it. Okay. I don't. Do you know what I mean though? Like the uh, Assassin's Creeds, first-person shooters, uh, sports games. I mean, I, I feel bad for you. Put them on here. Sports games. Sports games are a dying genre. Um, outside Absolutely. of the Maddens. Maybe the NBA games. I mean, the hockey games, the, the soccer, the FIFA games. Outside of the, there are no other sports games. Well, and there used to be multiple iterations of each of the sports, and that's gone, right? And that's about money. One group I didn't put on here is um, actual shooter shooters, like light gun shooters. Right. They're gone for political reasons, not because they didn't sell they're gone because nobody wants their child to hold a shotgun and point at a tv and shoot zombies at the arcade it's okay and they saw a a short resurgence in the wii because it was built into the console you had um uh oh i can't think of it but in a world where every five seconds we have a news story about you know, gunfire and school shootings, and and we have an media obsessed with pushing that anti-gun agenda. 
Um, again, I'm trying. I'm not going to get political here. It's just that's the way our media works right now. Um, so, and I remember covering this because there again was a resurgence even before the Wii on the Xbox um, and the Xbox 360. You saw some of those gun games come back, and they were great versions of the arcade or you know new innovative ways to do it and every time i would talk to somebody when i was writing for the dispatch they'd say why are you covering this you're just encouraging kids to shoot people and and that was that sensitivity it's not rational it's not real there's no evidence that playing a game where you point at a screen and shoot at a digital character actually makes you kill people but we've had these media stories over and over and over and over that reiterate that you you too could become a serial mass murderer because you played video games um i think most of that comes and goes but it's been quieted at this point i don't know i that's that's one of those things that kind of disappoints me is that we have some of these both economic and social factors that can kill an entire type of game and therefore there's no no outlet for it when we look at strategy games right your hardcore strategy games they're largely dead anywhere but the pc they didn't translate well to a console the exception might be halo wars Still not a million seller, right? It's not well, the hugest. and I can't think of many games that Halo Wars was developed for a console. Exactly. Those other strategy games that were, they were ports. That, and nobody thought, hey, oh, this mouse and click game that involves many clicks per actions isn't going to translate to a console. Well, one strange footnote, StarCraft came out on the console. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, and it didn't do well. And Diablo, uh, yeah, Diablo didn't do well originally. Yeah. Diablo one, Diablo three plays wonderfully because it was sort of developed for a console first and then brought to the PC. <laughs> well, there's a lot of debate about that, but yeah, um, I think we've covered this topic pretty thoroughly. Are there any last thoughts before we move on? Uh, one thing I like to iterate to every everybody I talk to. One of the things that, uh, as we sit down here in the game dungeon, I, I am not tied to any one genre. I, I like to give everything a chance. I know what I like and I don't like, and I'm still not willing to write off an entire genre. And I ultimately think there is a there's a type of game for everybody out there on the planet. A video game. Mm-hmm. Adventure games, they have a place. The Stardew Valleys, the the chill games in fact we were just playing a game before this podcast i was showing the sean it's a new uh small indie game called snake pass where you play as a snake and it's it's sort of like in the style of banjo kazooie it's just challenging getting collecting things visually yeah not gameplay no it is it's collect-a-thon go get that go get this go get that and it's two characters a snake and a bird i mean that it's inspired by banjo kazooie um, it's not for everybody. I, I'll admit that it's not for everybody. Not There's for a ton of games that aren't for anybody, but anybody that writes off a genre or a game or says, I don't understand why anybody would like that. That really, that really makes me angry sometimes because there is an audience for those games. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the reason that I think some of these genres die is because a lot of people write them off. If you don't like it, that's fine. But I mean, I think everybody's, it's sort of just the, um, the triple A releases. We're being told what's good when, (laughs) (laughs) do you, do you understand what I'm I'm saying? Oh, I absolutely do. So that brings up an interesting point. One of the reasons I think genres die, if they're hard to review, they die. Yeah, that's the other thing. Um, you, and I'll list this one thing and we'll move on. But beat 'em ups, mm-hmm. not a common genre anymore. Um, and Way Forward um, came out with a game a couple years ago called, called Double Dragon Neon, and it was if you've played Double Dragon, you've played one, you've played them all. But it was uh, it, it it was a resurgence of the beat 'em up in Double Dragon. And not to quote IGN, but the reviewer IGN at the time gave the gave the game a three point five, meaning out of ten, out of ten, which means it's atrocious, it's it's horrible, um, you know, don't touch it with a stick. I'll tell you right now, that game's not a three out of five. It's not a ten out of ten, but it's not a three out of five. It's a beat 'em up. It's solid. Um, it's very basic. Um, it's very annoying in the way that beat-em-ups have and always will be with sort of cheap boss fights and mechanics. And, and maybe those don't age as well as they used to, but it it's not a bad game. Well, the problem with, and I'm going to get us on a tangent if I'm not careful here, the problem with those games translating to home consoles is that their gameplay was desi- designed around quarters. Right. So you had limited health, and you had cheap bosses to force you to put more quarters in to continue to play. And that doesn't always translate well. It, it doesn't, but there are things in that game that work around that. You can buy health bonuses. You can Basically, they added RPG-ish elements to mitigate yep. those issues. Adding defense. It, and it was repetitive. I, I think we, we put away repetitive games aside. I think that... If we talk about uh, genres that are dying as repetitive games, people don't want to replay the same thing over and over to get good at it. I mean, the games that we grew up with, you had to play them over and over to get good at them. That <laughs> yeah. was part of the design. Like you said, it was made on the sort of quarter arcade play style. Like, well, oh, look at Gauntlet. Yeah. The original Gauntlet is you know you are putting more quarters in. No matter how well you play that game, every second you lose health. But we didn't care. It was just fun. Yeah. And it's still fun, but it's not something a lot of people do. Yeah, so, I mean, again, yeah, Double Dragon Neon isn't for everybody. But to write it off entirely and games of those sorts, it just really bugs me. I mean, yeah, it's it's not, it's not a masterpiece, but... So do we need... Older gamers reviewing content. No, I think we, I think we need younger gamers reviewing that. Younger gamers that understand those games and they exist. I think I think it's it's. I think not to go to nostalgia too much, but my parents used to watch a lot of movies from the fifties, sixties, and I I wrote them off because movies made in the fifties, sixties have horrible pacing issues. Yes. Pacing pacing wasn't developed until the 80s for for a lot of movies. Um but there are movies that I you know I've watched 
older that were like, oh, this isn't bad. This is a good movie. It's not a great movie. It's good. You know, they deserve to be saved and, and reviewed. Um, and it, and it's funny because when you see younger players, Nintendo always kind of markets their nostalgia and like references the original Mario games. And a lot of younger people, rem- like they, they know old Mario because Nintendo keeps bringing it back up. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is Mario. This is where Mario started. This is a callback to the original Mario. Hey, remember original Mario? Yeah. Mario Maker with the original Mario. Right. But it's a new, entirely new game. Um, and I, I I think that's what's needed for these genres. It's just sort of like a, a reintroduction. Like the reintroduction, the remastering of these games bring in to a new audience. So who's going to be the curator to do that? That is, I don't know. Because when you talk about movies, we have the Criterion Collection and these big kind of movie preservation efforts. We don't have that with games. We do. I would just say they're really small outfits. There, there are places out there um, that are keeping an archive of video games. The problem with video games, unlike mo- movies... I mean, movies have this problem too, but translating film to digital and keeping it in formatting and keeping the originals. But games are software, and to keep them relevant on working software is is, is difficult. Like the original Game Boy, I have right behind me. Um, one of the common problems with the original Game Boy is the screen fades over time, where yep. it becomes basically unreadable. Um, but there are other ways to play Game Boy games. But hardware has a life expectancy. Software doesn't, but you need to make it compatible with newer hardware. Okay. And so that's where, and you know, I do want to make this a topic. Maybe we'll talk about it next week, emulation. Emulation Mm -hmm. is at the forefront of preservation. But, um, yeah, I think that's a good place to end on that. Okay. So um, with that being said, we'd love to hear your topics on this main topic about genres maybe there's a favorite genre out there that you guys like maybe there's a game that you recently played that harkened back to something older that you remember or maybe there's a game that nobody's heard about um that you really love the game i always bring up to people that they may not remember is blast core for the (laughs) n64 that game is its own genre and it's never been done again so uh feel free to make sure you tweet at us um on our facebook page or our website fourscore7pongs.com now, we're going to leave you um, with one done thing. This week's d- one dumb thing is Facebook's obsession. Their downright obsession with becoming Snapchat. Yeah. They, hey, Facebook, I have Snapchat. I don't need Facebook to be Snapchat. I, every time. I mean, they tried to make Instagram Snapchat. It didn't work. So like, oh, I guess we'll throw Snapchat into our main app. Look, filters. Oh, look, stories. What's a story? Is is my life a story? What do I post as a story? I don't know what a story yeah, is. Yeah, and it's the crotchety old man in the room. The, the top of my Facebook app now has these little circle things. Those are the stories, Sean. I don't need that there. I don't want that there. Give me the option to get rid of that. You don't understand it. Just like when the news feed became, or your, uh, what did they used to call the Facebook profile page? Your uh, wall. Wall. When yeah. the walls went away. <laughs> when the walls came down yeah. on Darmac and Jalad. 
Anyhow, um, that's our one dumb thing for the week. Sean, actually, what's your last thought? My last thought is that there is a cycle in all things. The very deep thought here, which is we see genres come and go. And it's really not about the genre. Genre is an artificial thing. Good games, good game design grows and builds on the things that were amazing before it or it introduces something that no one's ever seen because of the capabilities of the platform at the time if you have not played older games there's plenty of places to seek them out and if you're interested there's probably tons of let's plays and you know have you played kind of articles out there on the internet the backlog well, if the backlog ever gets back on, which is my uh, Twitch stream where we would go through all the games that I and Jared own and maybe do some streaming and ranting while we play. But uh, that's it for me this week. What do you got? Um, I think my final thought after talking about all this is uh, I just wish people had an open mind with, with older games and genres and styles and just try something try something that's a little out of your wheelhouse just now and then um you don't have to like it uh you know make just make an educated opinion about something before you write something off um i i think that translates outside of video games too but just um jared's life lessons yeah (laughs) um yeah that's that's my my final thought so Again, thank you guys. Uh, We will see you next week right here. Same time, same channel, same podcast delivery app that you're using now. We hope. We hope. We'll see you next week. Bye.